Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Erica. And I'm Abby. And today I'm going to tell you about the serial killer, Anna Marie Hahn. So pour yourselves a strong cup of joe and let's dive in. continue on with our content for this week's episode shortly but first we wanted to take a moment to let you know about an opportunity to listen to even more crime over coffee content by signing up for our patreon you can receive ad-free episodes and additional content to check out this opportunity and sign up for the crime over coffee patreon visit www.patreon.com slash crime over coffee pod thank you again for all of your support Anna Marie Hahn was born Anna Marie Filzer in 1906 in Germany and was the youngest of 12 children. She apparently had a pretty regular upbringing and her family was pretty prominent in the community, so much so that when Anna became pregnant at 17, it was a huge scandal. And she claims that she had had an affair with a physician named Dr. Max Machik from Vienna who was married. Those claims aren't completely verified, but that's the idea of what happened. And as I mentioned, this is early on. So she was born in 1906, and this happened when she was 17. Anna becomes pregnant and, and has her first and only child, whom she names Oscar. But her parents, being concerned and wanting her to basically leave because of the scandal, actually send her to live with some family in Holland for a while. And then she eventually, a few years later, moves to Cincinnati, Ohio with her uncle. And at this point, when she moves to the United States, Oscar is five years old and he stays in Germany with Anna's parents. Anna moves to Cincinnati and gets a job at a hotel called the Ames Hotel in um, a predominantly German district in Cincinnati. Pretty soon thereafter, Anna meets a man named Philip Hahn, and they pretty quickly fall in love. Philip worked as a telegrapher, and they pretty soon get married, buy a house, and actually open up a bakery. And things seem to be going so well that Anna goes back to Germany and gets Oscar from her parents and brings him back to the United States to live with her and Philip. Things apparently seem good until they start to struggle with money. Around this time, the Great Depression's happening and they're just not doing well. And it's at this point that Anna begins her gambling habit and she starts going to horse races and betting on them. And it's also at this point that she just kind of begins to spiral into these series of crimes and money schemes. And... That's probably no surprise. I mentioned up top of the episode that she was, in fact, a serial killer. So here's where we start to see some sketchy things happening. I did see in one account that she tried to burn down her house and their bakery for insurance. Um, I don't know that that's 100% accurate. I only saw it in one, one source. So I wanted to throw it out there because it goes in line with what she was up to. So maybe but I will say I'm not 100% certain on that. 
Was the house connected to the bakery? I don't think so. They were separate. Oh. Okay. I was like, she just tried to burn the whole thing down. If I was trying to get insurance money, I'd probably only burn one down. I think that some people might start to be suspicious if your bakery and your house burnt down in the same week. Yeah, she somehow... Well, I'll throw this out now because it does come up a lot. She was a pretty attractive woman. They talk about her as being a pretty small woman, blonde hair, blue eyes, and really unassuming. So I'm guessing she kind of leaned into that a little bit. At some point, her husband, Philip, becomes sick. And Anna is seemingly opposed to him going to the hospital. But Philip's mom does live in the area. And she is like, no, we need to go to the hospital. There's something up. And Philip does get better. And it's sometime after this that um, Philip and Anna actually separate. They don't end up completely divorcing, but but they're not together. Because of all this, Anna begins a new quote-unquote profession where she finds single elderly men and is like a live-in attendant or nurse or takes care of them. And I say quote-unquote because I don't think she was actually through any type of agency. I think she just found men that were older and was like, well, I could help out and then kind of inserts herself into their lives. This concerns me as to where this is going. (laughs) Yeah. And between 1933 and 1938, Anna continues with this profession. And I'm just going to talk about a handful of men that she lives with and some situations that transpired because of this. In 1933, she goes to live with Ernest Koch, also named Ernest Kohler, and apparently while she's staying with him, he doesn't have any medical concerns, and he unexpectedly dies on May 6, 1933. And interestingly enough, before he passes away, he actually signed over his house to Anna. She does claim later on that he actually had cancer and that's what he died from, But nevertheless, a lot of people think it was more suspicious circumstances. That would be my assumption at this point from what I know. From what you've told me, I guess. I don't know anything about this case. (laughs) Right. She also at some point meets 72-year-old Albert J. Palmer, who is a retired railroad watchman. And she met him in her adventures going to the races and gambling, basically. And... She ends up borrowing money from him. He, at some point, starts to get sick and then eventually dies from an illness that is unidentified. This is starting to get suspicious. Maybe just me. Could just be me. Seems a little suspicious. No kidding. Anna claimed that basically Albert, because she owed money to him and she was trying to pay him back, he was being really demanding and wanted her to be his girlfriend, basically, and was threatening her. And way later on, she admits that she actually had slipped rat poison into some oysters that he had, and then he died later on after that. That tidbit comes way later on in the story, but I just want to throw it in here now because there's a lot of people in this story, and I don't want to mix them up too much because it'll get a little confusing. But while all this is going on with Palmer, before he passes away, she meets George Heiss, and she met him in 1936, 
in the same neighborhood and area where she lived at the time. And he actually had been a part of a coal company and he was a coal dealer. And he actually was helping Anna pay back Palmer some of the money that she owed him. She again is living with George, or at least there often and helping him out and cooking for him. And George at some point gets a a beer that she that Anna brings him and he's going to drink it and he notices some flies that like kind of go towards the beer and like go in it and then die in front of him apparently and so he's like oh this is weird and he kind of gets suspicious and he asks Anna to take a drink of the beer and she refuses and he at this point is just like mm, I don't need your help anymore like please leave I wanted to just like yell at that guy because you said he was cook- she was cooking him dinner i just want to be like nope don't need it just get out of there go run <laughs> yeah. george eventually goes on to get pretty sick and he becomes partially paralyzed but he does live and all throughout this anna denies having anything to do with him being sick and denies poisoning him i'm not surprised that but her denial means nothing to me at this point Another man she meets is 78-year-old Jacob Wagner, who was a gardener in, again, another Cincinnati, predominantly German neighborhood. And Wagner apparently is a distant relative of Anna. At one point, he apparently was getting sick, and this is on accounts from Anna. He's getting sick, and he wrote a check for $1,000 for Anna to take in cash to get him all the stuff he would need to help make him better, basically. However, this check is attempted to be cashed a day after Jacob Wagner mysteriously dies of an illness. And it's pretty evident, and people are pretty sure that she did, in fact, forge his signature. Later on, she claims that she was nervous that he was going to go to police because she had thought that he suspected her of being the reason for Palmer's death, basically. And so what she did was she went and got some poison and mixed it with his orange juice and gave it to him. And unfortunately, he passed away. I think that people should stay away from her. No kidding. There seems to be this trend with people who meet her that they just kind of die. From poison, nonetheless. You know, earlier on, I talked about rat poison and concerns of Palmer passing away. Pretty quickly turns to arsenic poisoning for most of these victims. Oddly enough, with Jacob Wagner's death, he also in his will, left her a sum of $17,000. That's quite a bit of money at that time. Honestly, if somebody handed me $17,000 now, I wouldn't complain. But, like, that's a lot of money. Yeah, and I'll do a little, like, recap count here in a little bit just to show you how much money and belongings she ended up getting from all of these supposed wills or gifts from these men via them passing away. Another person she met was 67-year-old George Selman, and there's not a lot known about his death. Um, what we do know is that him and Anna had met, and he died mysteriously from an illness after Anna had been staying with him and helping him out and cooking for him. And she had 
somehow managed to get $15,000 from him before his death. How? Does she just like ask nicely? I'm guessing she's charming enough that she's getting money from them. Um, as you as you guys know, like I mentioned earlier, she would meet these people and they would loan her money to help pay off her past debts. And I think she just ends up in this long line of cons, basically. And I would venture to guess her gambling problem didn't go away at all during all of this. <laughs> I Yeah, no, I would assume that that stuck. And the last person I'm going to talk about is George Obendorfer, a 76-year-old German cobbler. As I've mentioned, she lived in an area in Cincinnati that was a lot of people who were from Germany. And she convinces George to go on a trip to Colorado with himself, Anna, and Oscar. And this is in the summer of 1937. And what's really odd about this is he ends up passing away when they're staying in a hotel room shortly after they arrive in Colorado. And she somehow ends up with a $5,000 check from him. She's getting a lot of money here. How many guys are we at now? Four or five? We're at five who died suspiciously from her being around and one who suspiciously ended up very ill and paralyzed. I love how you say died suspiciously with her around because (laughs) I think it's a little bit more than that. But yes, we'll stick with that for now. (laughs) Well, suspiciously. Of course. She offered to cover the cost of the funeral and people started to ask questions And at this point, you know, she's in a different state. So there's other people involved with the situation, other police entities, investigators, what have you. And they think she's being weird. And so they do an autopsy of George and find that he had ridiculously high levels of arsenic in his body. I want to know why she wanted to pay for the funeral. Like she got her money. I I think it's odd that she decided to stay and pay for the funeral, not just run. Unless that was her way of trying not to look suspicious. I think she was trying to not look suspicious, but at this point, how do you not? I, she looks very <laughs> suspicious, but also I think it's weird. I think it, that made her look more suspicious. I guess I could kind of see her thought process, but it didn't work. Right. And, you know, assumedly she just recently met him and then was offering to pay for the whole funeral. I also think it's weird that she's like on this, I'm going to use the word rampage, to like basically a murderous rampage to like get all of this money and now she's suddenly is she feeling some sort of remorse and so she's like i'm gonna pay for it or is that her trying to cover her tracks but it's weird that she's going through all this to get all this money and now she's like "Eh, i'm gonna spend some of it on this guy i just killed or suspiciously died around me like i mentioned earlier i'm gonna do a quick little recap of what all anna has acquired through her We'll stick with Rampage, as Erica said. Aaron Koch, she got his house. From Albert Palmer, she got a $1,000 loan that he had actually given to her before she, before he passed away, and that was for her gambling issues. And she was supposed to pay him back. From Jacob Wagner, she got $17,000 that he had left to her. From George Zellman, she'd gotten $15,000. And then we have from George Obendorfer, $5,000. Not to mention the money that Heiss had been loaning her to help pay back Palmer. Um, Obviously, as we know, Heiss did not pass away, but he was also giving her money as well. At this point, Cincinnati detectives are involved and they're trying to basically 
nail Anna and take her in and arrest her. And they get an arrest warrant and they search her home and they find just a lot of arsenic poison hanging around. Um, One of the detectives said, quote, enough poison to kill half of Cincinnati, end quote. And they end up indicting her on Wagner and Zellman's deaths on August 16th, 1937. Do we know how she got a hold of all this arsenic? I'm pretty sure it was pretty easy to get that kind of stuff at this time period. As we know, we've talked about some other cases, I think, like all kinds of hard drugs that are are illegal now were used to quote unquote heal illnesses back then. So I don't think it was that hard to get. Anna gets put on trial for the murder in fall of 1937. And I will mention throughout all of the arrest and the trial and thereafter she claims that she's innocent and she had no hand in the deaths of these men but during the trial they actually had some scientists come in with they actually had jars of the organs of the men that she had supposedly murdered and claimed that they found high levels of arsenic in all of them i don't know how i feel about them bringing their organs into i know it's trial like guilty or not that's just because obviously that's not really something that happens but they even like at one point say something to the effects of we have the bodies of four men in here in this corner this corner and they're talking about the jars and it just seems insane yeah okay if they must george heiss also testifies and he's the one that got ill after he fired anna and basically claims anna did in fact poison him and blames him for his illness. When it's all said and done, a jury of 11 women and one man took less than three hours to decide that Anna was in fact guilty. And they offered no recommendation for any type of ease on her sentence. She's convicted on November 6, 1937, and on November 10th, she is sentenced to death by electrocution. Anna and her lawyers do try to appeal. Um, they appeal to all the Ohio courts and the U.S. Supreme Court, and all these appeals are denied. She ends up being put to death by the electric chair on December 7th, 1938, and she was actually the first woman to die in the electric chair in the state of Ohio. She apparently, as I mentioned, was saying up until her death, even when they're walking her into the room with the chair, denying that she'd done anything and saying something to the effect of, is somebody going to help me? I didn't do this. X, Y, and Z. However, what's interesting is prior to her actually being put to death, she had written out a full confession. And she did this in The reason she did it is because she made a deal with a local newspaper, the Cincinnati Inquirer, that they could publish it in their newspapers, but they were to pay her. And I think it was um, $6,000 or something like that. But they were going to pay her by putting it in a fund for her son, Oscar, to have so that he could use it or go to school or what have you. Something that they don't really speak about that I've could find at least, is Oscar in all of this? Because I assume he was he was with Anna through all of this. Philip was not Oscar's biological father. And I know at very least Oscar was with her when she went to Colorado. 
So I kind of wonder what kind of, like how involved he was, not that he was part of the crime, but if he knew what was happening or had any grasp on it. He was um, 12 years old when she was sentenced or when she was executed. So you, funny you say that. I forgot she had a son because you said that at the like beginning of the episode. And so then I kind of just forgot about him until you just mentioned him again. I was like, oh, yeah, she did have a son. Mm-hmm. I think it was just because there were so many things that I just escaped my mind. But that's got to be something hard for a kid to come to terms with. Do we know anything about what happened with him after his mom was executed? Like who he went to live with or anything? I'm glad you asked that because I am going to leave us on a little bit of a happier note than what we've been led through this entire episode, at least in terms of Oscar. Um, He did get the money that came from Anna's confession to the Cincinnati Inquirer. And he went to stay with a foster family somewhere else in the Midwest and changed his name. And from what we know, he went on to live a pretty normal life and actually served in the Navy later on. And from the outside, it looked like he ended up doing okay. Thanks to listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. All of our sources can be found in the show notes for each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. You can also support us by recommending us to friends and family, giving us a good review on Apple Podcasts, or subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.